I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, January 24th, 2024, the 1099th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So we started this week on Monday, a very long episode about Ron DeSantis 
dropping out of the fake GOP primary campaign. Ron suspended his campaign and he gave a very tepid endorsement of Donald Trump. Donald Trump was gracious in his role as victor. He thanked Ron DeSantis. He said Ron ran a great campaign. He was honored to have his support, etc. And just like that, it was down to two candidates in the Republican primary in New Hampshire. Would Ron's anti-Trump supporters then go to Nikki Haley with the GOP establishment, the rhino wing coalescing around the neocon candidate? Would Ron's so-called America First supporters give up on the Ron delusion and come back to Donald Trump knowing that they didn't want neocon Nikki Haley representing the GOP in the so-called election that they're planning on having in nine months? Oh, it was very suspenseful. But here we are on Wednesday afternoon, and Donald Trump has won a double-digit victory. He garnered the most total votes for any candidate in a New Hampshire GOP primary election in all of history. And he is the first candidate in the so-called modern era to win both Iowa and New Hampshire. And so we are going to get to that in a little bit. But one of the other discussions we also focused in on on Monday was whether or not Ron was a so-called kayfabe operation. Was Ron essentially running his campaign as a pro-Trump red team op to expose rhinos, their donors, their media class, get everybody out there to show the world, hey, we are the bad guys, drain the wallets of major donors, and then eventually disappear, allowing any authentic supporters of good faith who are just really confused about what's happening in the world right now to come to their senses and support the duly elected president, Donald Trump. Now, I can make a strong case that Ron himself is kayfabe. I can also make a strong case that he's not. I have a much harder time believing that the people in media and the donor class who supported Ron were in on it. And part of that kayfabe op, part of that pro-Trump red team op to expose rhinos and donors and other corrupt GOP establishment figures. When we're making assessments like this, we should have some sort of standard, some limiting principle so that we're not just calling everyone and everything kayfabe all the time. And I'm not sure I can find one of those in the people making the kayfabe argument for Ron. But that doesn't mean they're wrong in their assessment. It is always good to think about whether or not someone is being used to deliver a more important message, in some sense being used for a higher purpose. Now, who are they being used by? That's the question. And obviously, you can hear in the framing that there is a spiritual element to this, too. Now, we might not be able to come to a firm conclusion that Ron definitely is or is not kayfabe. But thinking about whether or not it's possible allows us at least to find a point where we can reconcile at least so we are not guided in our actions and in our thinking by a sense of betrayal or hatred or whatever it is. Now, if we're going to allow for this possibility, then we should maximize on that principle and apply it to all cases. And so let's take the other side of that argument a little bit more today than we did on Monday and think about how the info op of it all is reflected in this slow drip disclosure of the irrefutable fact 
that there is no proof anywhere Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. And through these last few years of study, most people who have paid attention to these issues can now, at least in broad strokes, generally understand the election fraud apparatus as it exists in this country. And right now, I believe a solid and compelling argument can be made to suggest that this entire fake primary process is happening specifically to deliver these messages to the American public. And that is something I have proposed for a while now. Last year, upon first hearing the early rumors that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. may be running for president, one of my first reactions, and I said so on this podcast, was that his running and his attractiveness to certain types of Democrat voters would itself be enough to expose to them some of the corruption within the Democrat primary nominating process and through that expose the corruption of our elections at large. Over the course of the year, last year, the fake president's fake administration made it clear to everyone that Joe Biden would not be involved in debates with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And now steps are being taken to make sure that Joe Biden doesn't even really have to participate in a primary. Democrat voters who are fed up with Joe Biden are being given a big fat finger by their party. And as far as I can tell, that is only going to get worse. Even the mainstream media is trying to take down Joe Biden right now. They're trying to let Everybody know all the standard issue uniparty left villagers, all of them need to understand that Joe Biden's just not going to get the Democrat Party over the hump. And the best thing they can do is shift their support to a younger, better Democrat candidate who can, whether that's Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama or I guess there's some outside chance that it could be someone like Hillary Clinton. They keep talking about Gretchen Whitmer. J.B. Pritzker wants the job, but it's not going to be Dean Phillips. It's not going to be Marianne Williamson. The party's not going to allow that to happen. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. already went on his way. But to that set of Democrats who wants a change from Joe Biden, they're seeing that their party is not going to give them what they want. It's not even going to give them the opportunity to voice what they want. Now, the number of Democrat voters who still remain in the Democrat Party at this point, who will even bother being offended by this, is probably pretty low. These people don't care. Their mindset really is the govern me harder daddy meme. They look at the rigging of their own primaries as a necessary step to keeping Joe Biden strong enough that he can beat Donald Trump. They don't want him torn down at all, especially not by his own party, even though the media is doing it right now in public. And they also agree that Joe Biden should be replaced. Imagine what it must be like inside their heads. As far as I'm concerned, the goal for the next nine months is to make sure that something like 80, 85, 90 percent of Americans understand that there is no legitimacy in our elections. The regime does not even give us the voice we are promised. And why would they? Honestly, why would they? They are trying to put together a one world government that they are in full control of all the time 
and live the most audaciously lavish lives that anyone in history has ever lived. Why would they let you ruin that by voting? Let's be honest. There is simply too much at stake for them. This shouldn't even be something that people need, quote unquote, evidence for. The evidence is everywhere. The evidence is in the censorship and the propaganda. The evidence is in the complicated and convoluted election system in the first place. And while they don't need your participation, they won't even allow it. They don't need your vote. They won't even allow it. They do need your consent and they do need your belief. And so that is what they are trying to build in the politics we see in public, in the news. All of this is to manufacture your consent for them to continue operating the system as they've been operating it. That's what the elections are about. They want you to say, even if I don't get my way, I'm okay with that as long as I am able to participate in this system. That few minutes of participation once every two years or four years, that's what allows people to feel okay with the regime doing absolutely whatever it wants. So what we're going to see this year is the exposure of all that, the disclosure of all that. The American public needs to come to understand that our elections are not real and that they must be made real if we are to continue going forward as a country. Donald Trump has said countless times, you can't have a country without borders and without elections, and they're not going to be fixed by pretending that they're already fixed and then committing to vote even harder than you did last time. It doesn't even make sense. So we're going to talk today about a bunch of examples that have been coming out over the past few days, a week or so, about how corrupted our elections are and how many ways there are to influence our elections and to interfere in our elections. And so let's get started with a method that is a little more indirect. By now, you have probably heard that an audio recording of a conversation between Carrie Lake and a man named Jeff DeWitt was released yesterday. And in that conversation, what you will hear is Jeff DeWitt relaying a message, an offer from some unnamed people to give Carrie Lake virtually whatever she wants to get her out of the politics game for two years. And before I play the audio, it's worth noting that this story, not the audio, not the name Jeff DeWitt, but this story has been out in public for nearly a year. Carrie Lake has talked about this multiple times on War Room and elsewhere. And as my friend Patriots in Control points out on Telegram, the Independent, for example, ran a headline last year, March 4th, Carrie Lake spins tale of attempted bribery to drop out of politics. So as you listen to this, understand that this conversation took place at least those 10 and a half months ago and potentially longer. Now, I thought about whether to just include a clipped version of this audio and decided why not just put the whole audio on. It's about 10 minutes and 40 seconds. So that means that if you have already heard this or you find it boring, just fast forward to about 24 and a half minutes and you will be on track. But here is the newly released audio of a conversation between Carrie Lake and Jeff DeWitt of Arizona as released by the Daily Mail. 
I'm assuming this is our friend. Uh, this is this is this is back east. They there are very powerful people that want to keep you out. I know oh, they do. But they're willing to put their money where their mouth is in a big way. So this conversation never happened. Th- this is crazy though. They should want me. I'm a great candidate. People love me. These people are corrupt. Well, maybe you're right. They are right. They are corrupt. Maybe. This is right. Don't don't go. You never know. I'll get myself in trouble. This, if you if you say no, that's just fine. It's your choice. Don't tell people. They're gonna have try to have me murdered. (laughs) Not that either. Say world man. If that stuff that came out last week is right about the cartel stuff, man. I see the cartels operating in 50 states right now, like all 50. Mm-hmm. So, so what what what's going on? Who is it? What? Forget the who. Let me just tell you the what. Let's just say there are people calling around, saying, "Gosh, no, they can't repeat this. Never repeat this. If you say no, don't. If you say I got offered to buy out, don't, yeah, don't use it. Because then we lose our ability to get things done other in the future." Here's this, my problem. Rather than just say, let's work with her. She's a great candidate. Because they don't own me. And it pisses me off. Yeah, it's not it's about ownership. It's about control. I don't know if it's about control. It's about being on the team. I guess that. You know what I mean? They want to be on the team. They want you to be on their team. But just you know? But if they're pushing a globalist agenda, I can't do that. So what do they want? What do they want me to do? You want to stay out for two years. <laughs> but, let me tell you what I can offer you. But, um, I said, you can do what you want. It's talking head, isn't it? So, the, the ask of me was, it's kind of funny. So the, the ask I got today from back east was, this is, has to see is there any companies out there or something that could just put her on the payroll and give her to keep her out? And I said, well, what do you want to do? Whatever we need to do. This is about defeating Trump. And I think that's a bad, bad thing for our country. DeSantis is not America first. This is about the final death blow to Trump. And I don't think that's good for our country. It's not good for our country, Jeff. It's not, but at the same time, I'm not even sure Trump can win again. I don't know that he can win I think what it really comes down to for a lot of people, it's not only about like control or agenda, it's just about the ability to raise money to win. You know? If you really want to know, all of those politics falls under money, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And even on their end, like what makes them the most money? I know. These, all these consultants don't want their, their payday to end. And I don't want to make a deal with these kind of people. This is a hill worth dying on. I am not. If they're going to steal the election to make me and our, our movement go away, I'm not letting them do that. I owe it to the people of Arizona. Or. To carry their torch and their voice. Or. You don't go away. But you pause. This is the battles right now, Jeff. No, the battle is right now. The battle is right now, and um, we don't have time to to pause on this battlefield. You're not. 
what you can't scratch this out. It's not for you. Yeah. You don't need an offer. Though. And they're sitting around people that have something offered. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's a it's a back scratching club. That's all DC is. It's a big mm -hmm. back scratching club. You're no you're in no position to scratch anybody's back and you've already made it known that if you get there you're not gonna scratch anybody's back. I don't scratch people's back. You know, I was I've been on the outs with a lot of people for a long time because I don't scratch my backs. Mm -hmm. You know. Where are we in two years if they steal the election again? Listen to what you're saying. Why don't we do something about it? So that we the people can pick our What can we do? I'm not willing to accept that. And I'm gonna be the biggest pain in these people go back and tell them that. I'm running. And I'm going to be the biggest pain in their And I'm willing to tell them that. And they're going to have to kill me. To stop me. No, I know, I know, look. And, and you don't have to tell them that, but no. I don't think they will, but... No, I don't think that's the way they are. Uh, Either they come around and try to work with me, or I'm what just going to... What would that entail? That would entail not telling... Layman's telling me, you got to distance yourself from Trump. No, you distance yourself well, from DeSantis. He's, he's, he's all butthurt about this. But what I'm saying is, don't tell people that. I'm with Trump, okay? I want to work for I the betterment you. of Arizona. I'm, I'm not going to let these people back in D.C. tell me not to run. I'm not going to pause for two years. The battle is now. But I'm offended by whoever these people are that they're trying to well, buy me be, out of. Well, you should be honored. But I'm offended that there's people back there who just don't get about our country. Do you understand though? You should be honored. That that means they know how powerful you are. Well, I can tell them if that if you weren't powerful, they wouldn't they wouldn't want to have this conversation. Yeah. Right? You should be very few people get this. I know. I'm just I'm pissed that they don't care more about our country. It's all about the mighty dollar to them. And that's offensive. I don't know. I honestly don't know. They want to get Trump so bad, they want him out that's so not bad. About Trump. This isn't about Trump, it's about you. It's not about Trump. Some people are in on this. Listen, I can win. Why don't you go back and tell them that I can win, and why don't they get behind me? I just see, I see these things through a different lens. It's very personal to you. This was you. It was your name on the ballot, and I get that. And it's a very personal thing. Well, I have a um, appointment coming up, and I have to work on my book. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I appreciate their. Concern. Just to say, is there a number at which I can be bought? That's <laughs> what it's about. You can take a pause for a couple of years. No. And then go right back to what you're doing. Mm -mm. No. 10 million, 20 million, 30, no, no, no. A billion, no. This is not about money, this is about our country. I think it's disturbing that they would even, that anybody would think this is... I, I, no, to be fair, even me, even me, I'll say this. I want a fresh face right now for the reason that I've never seen anyone, I can't think of a single person in a federal race who lost, ran in and won. I can't okay. think of it. If you can think of it, let me know. I am not going to let these people who hate our country tell me not to run. You should call them and tell them to get behind me. I, mean, I, I, I can win, and they should words. get behind me. I would, I would happily say those words. Yeah. Do you think my words will carry any weight? No. Okay. Well, did you think you would come in here and that I would be bought? <laughs> it's not being bought. Yes, it is. It's I think what it I is think. being bought.
they they are trying to buy me out of running. What and I it's think. it's actually I mean all right I'm flattered. It's I'm offended. I'm offended think, for our country. We have people this, like this who live here. What I think is this is it can give you an incredible opportunity to have a bigger voice to fight for stuff than you currently do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't want to deal with people like this. These people are un-American, and I, I think they're unethical, and I would be absolutely immoral if I did that. Again. That's immoral. I couldn't. I couldn't look at my. I, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror, if I. You know. It's just. It's very powerful people that are willing to. They really want someone different. They want new names, whatever it is. So they want Jim Lehman. That's a new name. No, actually, that's not even. That's a possibility. But they're even asking me like. I I know they they've got all these new names, and I'm going to beat each and every one of them. Sorry, Jack. Take it back. Take it back to them. I got I got to get working. I, know I love you, but I got to get working. All right, I appreciate it. it. I mean, I'm just can't believe this. Hey, hey, again, be honored. Instead of them just look, instead of just them working to beat you, they're trying to like they're. they're, they're this is about getting Trump out. Nah, yeah, Trump never once. Well, it's about DeSantis getting DeSantis in. Getting DeSantis is, is getting Trump. It's not. You're, you're, you're reading too deep into it. Well, let's see what happens. Maybe my case will go through. Maybe they'll do the right thing. I doubt it. I hope so. I do too. That's my first goal. Yeah. But they can't have me in the governor's office because then we're going to root out some of this corruption. But again, it's like you know what it is? The people don't get to choose their elected officials unless they're pre-approved by the swamp. <laughs> And the swamp doesn't pre-approve of me. You need a strong party to help. I you think win. you should go public with this and then no, say, "Hey, no, 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 no. These people don't want to. They don't want. They're." And then I turn my key in my car and I go. <laughs> oh, no. I like my car. <laughs> Tell them I'm not flattered. <laughs> I'm offended that they. Don't tell anybody that we had this conversation. I'm offended that they um, don't care about our country more. I actually wish you'd just give me a counter offer this big. Give me a counter. <laughs> I can't. I can't be bought. Come on. I can't. All right, I'll see. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, so there it is. Carrie Lake says toward the end of that, the people don't get to choose their elected officials unless they're pre-approved by the swamp. And it was becoming clear to her that she was not pre-approved. They did not want her in office. They did not want her delivering a MAGA America First message. They did not want her in the governor's office able to root out that corruption in Arizona and they deal with the illegal alien problem. That's the cartels at the border. That's a slave trade. That's human trafficking. That's drug trafficking. That's weapons trafficking. That's what that is. They deal with stolen elections and they deal with the energy policies and other policies that have been put in place by the corrupt rhino establishment, along with the corrupt Democrat establishment. Arizona is a very, very corrupt uniparty stronghold. We still think of these things as in red and blue. The McCain mafia in Arizona and the Janet Napolitano mafia in Arizona are not opponents. They're pursuing the same things. Cindy McCain was involved in trying to promote Karen Taylor Robeson in the primary against Carrie Lake when Carrie Lake was running for governor in 2022. 
And last week, Cindy McCain was taking pictures with none other than Alex Soros. The Democrat-Republican thing doesn't matter. Arizona is corrupt as hell. And so we have an indirect means of interfering in elections. They make sure to buy off certain potential political candidates so that they cannot be in the race in the first place. And the media doesn't have to cover them. They don't get to go out there and talk about the issues that people care about. The regime wants candidates only in their stable. All of the Republican candidates are establishment Republicans. All of the Democrat candidates are establishment Democrats. And you have both sides of the controlled opposition, uniparty right and uniparty left, arguing about the issues using only information within that central narrative bubble. They argue about the details of complete and total fictions as relayed through the official story within the central narrative. They talk about so-called national issues that will divide people. They'll never do anything about them. The Republicans on the pro-life side of things made no advances until Donald Trump showed up. The Republicans on the anti-immigration side of things made no advances until Donald Trump showed up. The fiscal conservatives made no advances until Donald Trump showed up. The uniparty right has worked with the uniparty left to sell this country out for decade after decade after decade. And they aren't even representing conservative values. They're not representing the Constitution. They're not representing any of it. The neocon Trotskyites took over. He went through that article on Monday. If you haven't listened to Monday's podcast, go back and listen to it. We are talking about imperialists, collectivists, militarists, globalists. None of that represents conservative values, yet all of it is at the heart of the neoconservative movement. And the neoconservative movement took over the GOP establishment. So what we have are two sides of the same militarist, imperialist, globalist, collectivist uniparty focused on issues that attempt to avoid completely the truth of what our society has become, what has been done to us and what has been done in our name. But let's talk about the audio a little bit because the audio is a little weird. Carrie Lake has done a few interviews over the last 24 hours or so. She has said that the audio is real, but there's still a lot of mystery surrounding this story. And we can see the media on even our side treating this as though it's an info op. They're not asking even basic journalistic questions like, where did this video come from? Was Carrie Lake wearing a wire? Was she already ready for a media appearance and someone hit record? Is the audio leaked? Was it intentionally released? Is this the bribery attempt you were referring to nearly a year ago? It certainly seems to be. But none of that stuff's been answered, and we're talking about basic stuff. And that doesn't even get to questions about who it was who sent Jeff DeWitt to talk to Carrie Lake and propose these deals. If this is indeed the incident that she was talking about from over a year ago, and it does seem to be, then the obvious question to follow immediately would be, why wasn't this audio released until now? Why would you wait 11 months to come out and prove that claim? Now, maybe it's strategic. Maybe she wanted her quote unquote opponent for the Arizona Senate, Ruben Gallego, to double down and triple down on the idea that Carrie Lake is a conspiracy theorist. And now when we are in the heart of the campaign, the audio can be released proving that Carrie Lake was telling the truth when she said that there was a bribery attempt. So maybe that's the reason. 
If Carrie Lake went out on television to say that a bribery attempt had taken place and Carrie Lake is who we believe her to be, well, then surely she would have alerted people to this bribery attempt, knowing that she had also recorded the audio or certainly someone had. And then the question would immediately become what has been done over this last nearly a year now? Have authorities talked to Jeff DeWitt? Have authorities talked to the people who would be behind this offer? Jeff DeWitt certainly seems to be a free man right now. So did he cut some kind of deal? Is he just innocent? Was he a whistleblower at this point, playing along in delivering a message he was meant to deliver, making what we heard a team effort between Lake and DeWitt to ultimately expose these corrupt deal makers behind the scenes, it would be nice to know all these things. Now, the Arizona cartels were mentioned, and you might remember a year ago, there was a hearing in Arizona's legislature where one of the witnesses brought up cartel influence in the corruption of Arizona politics. And many people rushed out to make sure that everybody knew the people claiming this cartel influence just couldn't be trusted. One of the leading figures in doing that was the reporter from Uncover DC, Tracy Beans, who, despite having been a Q follower and an associate of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, became one of the leading DeSantis simps pitching the idea that Trump was a participant in a vaccine induced genocide. He rushed that vaccine to the market and was responsible for people taking it, and therefore he had to come out and renounce the vaccine. And it's kind of interesting that Ron DeSantis was mentioned in that newly released audio. Carrie Lake kept pressing her concern that all of this was about elevating Ron DeSantis and removing Donald Trump, which certainly seems to be the project of these major donors, these people who believe that it's their role to control all of politics, who runs, who gets elected, and how they govern. And yes, sadly, the system definitely is this corrupted. You can see it everywhere. Now, whenever a story has this many twists and turns and plays out with so few details over such a long time, I assume info op, which doesn't mean that it's all false or anything. It just means that this thing is being deployed for a purpose. It's not like someone just discovered it and now it's out there and reality just keeps marching forward. It's deployed at a particular time in a particular manner and major pieces of the story are still missing. Presumably, we will be getting those over the coming weeks and months. And who knows, maybe Kerry Lake will drop some more details tonight. But this is a major story. This is a major story about political influence and interference in our political process making it difficult for the people to choose their own representatives. They will pay people off. They will give them cushy jobs with a big salary, expecting no work production whatsoever. Her job would be to not run for governor. That is what they want for her money. If she had said, I want $5 million, they would say, here's $5 million. We are going to sit you on the board of directors at XYZ company. And we'll give you a book deal. That'll be part of it. And we're going to put you on a top rated TV show or you're going to get a Daily Wire podcast where we will pay you a million dollars a week, just like we do with the rest of our cast of creators of trans content. 
All of that is behind the scenes influence that we would never see. Carrie Lake could have simply come out and said, I gave it a lot of thought and I've decided that now is not the right time to run for office. I have a kid just finishing up high school. I want to see my kid graduate and then I will reassess in two years. Something along those lines. We have heard these things for decades and we're getting a peek behind the curtain to see this is how those things come about. The deal is the deal. Everything else is the cover story. That's what they tell the public so that the public stops asking questions. So as I mentioned, the first news of a bribery attempt to get Carrie Lake not to run came nearly a year ago. Carrie Lake talked about it on War Room and elsewhere. But what was happening with Jeff DeWitt a year ago? This is from the Washington Post on January 28th, 2023. New Arizona GOP chairman solicits election deniers to secure a spot. Jeff DeWitt, a former state treasurer and Trump campaign aide, wooed prominent election deniers to stave off far-right challenge. The Arizona Republican Party, reeling from statewide drubbings in a historic stronghold, chose a new leader Saturday who managed to hold together a coalition of activists from warring factions. Now, the big loss they're referring to is Carrie Lake's loss to Katie Hobbs as governor in an election that was obviously stolen in broad daylight and, of course, is still being contested. And naturally, at the same time, the establishment wants Carrie Lake to go away. She tried. She failed. Now she's got to go. Jeff DeWitt. The former state treasurer who worked as chief operating officer for former President Donald Trump's presidential campaigns was viewed by activists as a competent Republican, best positioned to appease the grassroots demands for changing election rules while moving away from being focused on the 2020 contest. His candidacy for the chair got a last minute push from Trump, whose intervention may have widened his margin over far right activists. That's weird that the Washington Post is telling us that Trump was not into the far right activists in this case. DeWitt's new perch may help improve the party's standing with local conservative donors and the RNC, which has suffered in recent years under Kelly Ward. The change in leadership comes at a pivotal moment for the newly competitive state where Arizona Republicans will have another shot at flipping a U.S. Senate seat and will be pivotal in the Electoral College. DeWitt, 50, who entered the race in December, pledged to improve fundraising, recruit precinct committee people, stay neutral in primary races, and run a transparent operation. He noted his willingness as treasurer to take on establishment party figures like former Governor Doug Ducey. In one-on-one -on -one calls to more conventional Republicans, DeWitt cast himself as the only candidate who could move the party past the intensity of election denialism. Very interesting. But when he took the stage Saturday, DeWitt tailored his message for a pro-Trump, make America great again audience. He touted endorsements from some of the state's loudest evangelists of Trump's election falsehoods. Carrie Lake, the former TV news anchor who lost her gubernatorial bid, failed Secretary of State candidate Mark Fincham, State Senator Wendy Rogers, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, and above all, Trump. 
Additional hardline validators included former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio and former acting attorney general Matt Whitaker. So that is a lot of weight from the pro-Trump side of things getting behind this guy, Jeff DeWitt, as the new GOP chair in Arizona just a year ago. They wanted DeWitt to be in this position. Do they want him in this position because he's the best person for the job? Maybe. But they also might have wanted him in this position so that all of this could play out. I do want to hit a few more parts of this article. Most activists expected the six-way race to come down to DeWitt and Steve Daniels, chair of the far-right Patriot Party of Arizona. He campaigned on getting rid of vote-counting machines and restricting voting to one day. Those are good ideas. Daniels began and ended his speech on Saturday with an appeal to harness the fury over elections as if to out-Trump the Trump-endorsed candidate. One day, one vote, in person, with ID, on paper, no machines, no mail-in ballots, precinct-level polling, precinct hand count, he said. I will secure elections or I will die trying. Steve Daniels sounds like a great guy. In the end, DeWitt won with 71%, while Daniels placed a distant third. Skipping down again. The balancing act that won DeWitt the chairmanship is poised to define his tenure as the state party struggles to hold together dedicated Trump supporters, pragmatists who want to move on from Trump, and newcomers energized by Trump's false claims of election fraud. DeWitt's ability to please multiple constituencies was tested during the campaign as his business ties to influential state Republicans came under scrutiny. Oh, business ties. DeWitt ran a technology company that developed apps for Trump-aligned youth group Turning Point Action and its affiliates. Oh, wow. That's Charlie Kirk's crew. The company's board includes both of Arizona's RNC members. DeWitt said he left the position on January 3rd. And in leaked audio circulated on social media in recent weeks, DeWitt can be heard saying people urged him to run to stop Daniels and distancing himself from Trump. I'm off the Trump train. I'm DeSantis, DeWitt says in the undated tape. I worked for Trump and everything. I'm not good with those people because I didn't support their idiot Blake Masters, he added, referring to the U.S. Senate candidate who had Trump's endorsement but lost in November. And Blake Masters is a Peter Thiel guy, as is, of course, J.D. Vance up in Ohio. DeWitt said in an interview with The Post Saturday that the audio is a, quote, fake tape chopped up from a private conversation he had last year with a Daniels backer. The part he cut is at the very beginning where I said, people are saying that I am off the Trump train because I wouldn't support Blake Masters. I've never seen a dirtier campaign tactic than recording a private phone conversation and creatively editing it to try to win an election. It's despicable. So that is DeWitt here, Jeff DeWitt, the same Jeff DeWitt whose audio was just released of a conversation where he is purportedly offering Carrie Lake any money, any job, any access, any influence she wants to stay out of Arizona politics and not run for Senate for another two years. Having a conversation recorded and released, I guess is just a normal occurrence in Jeff DeWitt's life now. Pretty strange, don't you think? 
A Trump spokesman said the outcome showed the enduring power of the former president's intervention. There is nothing more impactful in politics than President Trump's endorsement, the spokesman said. Contrast that with recent endorsements from other people this past weekend that didn't move one single vote, referring to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a potential 2024 rival who backed Harmeet Dillon's unsuccessful bid for RNC chair. So to recap, Jeff DeWitt is supported by Donald Trump and a bunch of other ostensibly MAGA or America first people in Arizona. And he ends up becoming the new GOP chair of Arizona. Assuming that this is all the same bribery claim that Carrie Lake made nearly a year ago, Jeff DeWitt became the GOP of Arizona and within five weeks was offering bribes to get Carrie Lake not to run for office in Arizona. Is this just the job of a GOP chair in a given state? They're the ones who distribute the bribe offers. They're the ones who talk people into or out of running for political office based on the incentives or the punishments that they might receive. Was he put in that position specifically to be the one who brought this offer to Carrie Lake that would end up being recorded and then released now? right in the thick of this election fraud exposure and disclosure operation. But let's move on to our next example of election fraud disclosure from the past week. This is from Monday from America First Legal. Bombshell documents. America First Legal lawsuit reveals CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, knew about mail-in voting risks in 2020 while censoring related narratives as disinformation. Oh, hey, that's what happened to me. Today, America First Legal released new documents from its lawsuit against the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, for records from its mis, dis, and mal-information team regarding the 2020 election reinforcing AFL's prior findings of federal election interference, the new documents reveal that. CISA knew mail-in and absentee voting are less secure than in-person voting, i.e. verified voting, confirming warnings by former President Trump and others of increased fraud and shared these concerns with mainstream media outlets during an unclassified quote-unquote media tour the Friday before the 2020 election. However, the mainstream media, having derided the notion that vote by mail was less secure than in-person voting, covered up the truth. So that is actually a credit to CISA. That is part of what's being revealed here, is that the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency went out and contacted media organizations and let them know that there were some potential problems with mail-in voting. And then the media Never told us. But wait, am I giving CISA too much credit? Maybe. It's entirely possible that CISA created this media tour knowing that the press wouldn't report any of this and leaving CISA in a position where they could just throw up their hands, they could shrug, they could say, hey, we did what we could. We told the media and they just didn't report it. Our hands are clean. But let's go on with America First Legal. CISA knew that there was no credible evidence to support the claim that in-person voting would spread COVID-19, yet it covered up the truth and supported mass vote-by-mail schemes. And of course, we can all remember how 
that was treated at least by the media. We were even told that they needed their massive counting centers, their tabulation centers in professional sports arenas to allow for enough space between voting stations. We couldn't have local precincts because that wouldn't be safe for COVID. People forget how truly insane 2020 was. CISA relied upon Deloitte, an accounting and consulting firm, to gather disinformation, quote unquote, narratives regarding vote by mail across social media for the purpose of monitoring and censorship. CISA confirms mass vote by mail schemes create election integrity risks. By September 2020, CISA was aware that the evidence established that in-person voting did not increase the spread of COVID-19. CISA was also aware that mass vote-by-mail schemes posed major challenges, including, quote, the process of mailing and returning ballots, and, quote, the high number of improperly completed ballots, and, quote, the shortage of personnel to process ballots in a prompt manner. And the article, by the way, at aflegal.org shows the screenshots of emails and other evidence of the claims. Now, naturally, even the Carter Baker Commission from, I think it was 2005, made it absolutely clear that mail-in voting was the style of voting most open to fraud. Despite its awareness of mail-in voting risks, absentee voting challenges, and the harmlessness of in-person voting, CISA continued supporting the unprecedented voting policy changes implemented across the states in 2020. Again, America First Legal provides the supporting documentation. There is a document regarding the concerns in Wisconsin. And one sentence really jumps out to me. It says the state saw a jump from 6% mail-in ballots in pre-COVID-19 elections to 82% mail-in ballots in the most recent primary election. So prior to COVID, virtually no one voted by mail in Wisconsin. And then because of COVID, all of a sudden, 82% of the so-called turnout for the primaries in Wisconsin was done through mail-in voting. Now, I have no doubt that some people decided that they would vote by mail rather than in person because they were scared by what the television said concerning the very deadly pandemic. But that does not mean that this major shift toward mail-in voting is fully explained by that. But let's go on. By October 2020, CISA had created a chart specifying six significant fraud risks presented by mail-in voting. One, implementation of mail-in voting infrastructure and processes within a compressed timeline may also introduce new risk. Two, for mail-in voting, some of the risk under the control of election officials during in-person voting shifts to outside entities, such as ballot printers, mail processing facilities, and the U.S. Postal Service. And there were problems at every level of that in 2020 and since. Runbeck comes immediately to mind. Number three, integrity attacks on voter registration data and systems represent a comparatively higher risk in a mail-in voting environment when compared to an in-person voting environment. Number four, the outbound and inbound processing of mail-in ballots introduces additional infrastructure and technology, increasing potential scalability of cyber attacks. 
Number five, inbound mail-in ballot processes and tabulation take longer than in-person processing, causing tabulation of results to occur more slowly and resulting in more ballots to tabulate following election night. Oh, how about that? Number six, disinformation risk to mail-in voting infrastructure and processes is similar to that of in-person voting while utilizing different content. Threat actors may leverage limited understanding regarding mail-in voting processes to mislead and confuse the public. Yet there's nothing that you would want less than the public not trusting mail-in voting, even though you have just listed a bunch of reasons not to trust mail-in voting. Thank goodness they're on the side of the people, these geniuses. While CISA saw the implementation of mail-in voting in a quote-unquote compressed timeline as a top risk, it was also aware that last-minute mail-in voting 2020 policy changes were being implemented across states. CISA informed the media. The media covered it up. CISA shared these findings in an unclassified media tour on the Friday before Election Tuesday. Yet the Washington Post and other similar outlets covered up the evidence and focused on CISA's quote-unquote independence from Trump and CISA director Chris Krebs's statement about the security of mail-in ballots that quote-unquote directly contradict Trump. Of all the risks it identified, CISA appeared to focus by far the most on monitoring and censoring the mail-in voting risk narrative. CISA apparently contracted Deloitte to report on daily social media trends relating to the U.S. election, including narratives relating to vote by mail, and to flag specific social media posts for CISA's awareness and attention. For example, Deloitte reported to CISA that Twitter flagged President Trump's post that there are big problems and discrepancies with mail-in ballots. A conservative online activist claimed that Twitter is censoring his tweets about voter fraud to help the Democratic presidential nominee. These are posts and narratives that Deloitte flagged on behalf of CISA. President Trump, quote, retweeted a political pundit who accused a Democratic congressional candidate of election fraud after thousands of ballots were mistakenly sent to his district and quote, the governor of Texas quoted an article from a local news outlet on the state's recent history of voter fraud convictions and claimed that it reveals mail ballot vote fraud in Texas. And of course does. A conservative pundit accused Twitter of suppressing a story about the Democratic presidential nominee's son to help the nominee win the election. And everybody knows that happened. A conservative online activist accused Twitter of censoring her posts about voter fraud. She is witnessing here in Nevada, as she says, and expressed her frustration with Twitter's disclaimers, stating that mail-in ballots are secure and America First legal include some of the screenshots of those documents and that reporting about the social media trends that Deloitte did for CISA. Deloitte's reports provided CISA with confirmation that its social media monitoring and censoring apparatus was working. In Missouri versus Biden, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit found that the platform censorship decisions were made under policies that CISA has pressured them into adopting and based on CISA's determination of the veracity of the flagged information. CISA formed the Election Integrity Partnership, the EIP, to censor American speech 
as the House Judiciary Committee and its select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government has found. Director Krebs testified to Congress that, quote, narratives are narratives, end quote. So CISA didn't differentiate between domestic and foreign activity on social media. According to congressional investigators, CISA targeted entire narratives for censorship. In the EIP's report touting the scope of its efforts, EIP found that, quote, in the lead up to the 2020 election, misinformation centered on mail-in voting. Accordingly, EIP collaborators, including CISA, submitted, quote, tickets to flag social media posts relating to mail-in voting. CISA interfered in the 2020 presidential election. The evidence is that, one, CISA knew that in-person voting did not increase the spread of COVID. Two, CISA knew mail-in voting was less secure. Three, CISA nevertheless supported policy changes to encourage unprecedented widespread mail-in voting. Four, CISA formed the EIP, the Election Integrity Partnership, to censor narratives related to mail-in voting. Number five, CISA broadly monitored social media to detect unapproved narratives relating to mail-in voting and to confirm that platforms were adequately censoring them. America First Legal sums it up this way. CISA and its media allies interfered with and undermined the integrity of the 2020 presidential election. This evidence has been obtained through AFL's ongoing lawsuit against CISA to expose the activities of CISA's mis, dis, and malinformation team leading up to the 2020 election. AFL has previously exposed CISA's partnerships with private sector tech companies to pre-bunk, fact-check, and remove speech and flag accounts. CISA's use of the self-deleting messaging app Signal for quote-unquote official business and CISA's October 2020 false characterization of the Hunter Biden laptop story as a quote QAnon conspiracy theory linked to the 2016 Pizzagate conspiracy. AFL will keep fighting to expose the truth about the 2020 election interference by CISA and other deep state actors to protect our citizens' rights and fortify our election integrity. So the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency knew that all sorts of fraud could indeed be prevalent in our elections, and they helped to deny it and to cover it up while diluting their responsibility and attempting to create plausible deniability by pushing the responsibility onto the media outlets for not reporting what had been disclosed to them. Now, in the intro to every episode of my show, you will hear Chris Krebs, the former director of CISA, attesting to the fact that the 2020 elections from the CISA perspective were the safest and most secure elections in our nation's history. But then you have to remember that all of this is there and that last year, CISA finally published their own report, their own summary of the J. Alex Halderman report, which has been released in redacted form, but was until last summer under court seal for about five years. And we still don't have all of the redacted information, of course. Now, all of that has been under seal in front of Judge Amy Totenberg, whose sister is on NPR. This is down in Georgia, the Curling v. Raffensberger case. This is from Monday in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a 
fully controlled state propaganda mouthpiece. The headline expert shows how to tamper with Georgia voting machine in security trial. The subheading election officials say vulnerabilities are merely speculative. So the expert shows how easy it is to manipulate the system, but election officials say he's just speculating. This doesn't really happen. Huddled around a voting machine in a federal courtroom, a small crowd watched as expert witness Alex Halderman demonstrated how someone could meddle with a Georgia election within seconds. Halderman, a University of Michigan computer scientist, changed results of a hypothetical referendum on Sunday alcohol sales. He flipped the winner in a theoretical election between President George Washington and Benedict Arnold, the Revolutionary War general who defected to the British. He rigged the machine to print out as many ballots as he wanted. So he dictated the outcome and got the machine to print out all the ballots he needed. He did this in a courtroom. This is J. Alex Halderman, the expert of all experts on these voting machines, whose report was entered into this trial that has been going on for more than six years now. This report was filed in that case before the 2020 election. And despite all of the information on the vulnerability and the manipulations of Georgia's election system being on the public record at that point, elections still went forward in Georgia anyway, using those systems. Back to the AJC. All he needed was a pen to reach a button inside the touchscreen, a fake $10 voter card he had programmed or a $100 USB device that he plugged into a cord connected to a printer, rewriting the touchscreen's code. Halderman delivered his presentation during an election security trial, evaluating whether Georgia's voting system is vulnerable to manipulation or programming errors. All in-person voters in Georgia make their choices on touchscreens that print out paper ballots. Election officials countered Halderman's testimony with assurances that real-world elections in Georgia have never been hacked and security precautions prevent the possibility of interference. So Halderman shows in open court that these systems can be manipulated with incredible ease if you know what you're doing and election officials contend that that doesn't mean it's happened. Does that cause you to have more faith in election officials or zero faith in election officials? All of these things worry me just how easy these machines would be to tamper with. It's so far from a secure system. Halderman testified Thursday. There are all kinds of politically motivated actors that would be eager to affect results. Obviously, nothing could be more obvious, but election officials say, don't worry. Under questioning from attorneys defending Georgia's Dominion voting equipment, Halderman said there's no evidence that the vulnerabilities he showed have ever been exploited in an actual election. And as someone who read his report and broke down that report last year when it was released, Halderman makes it quite clear that he is talking about the information that he has been given. Halderman himself has not been provided evidence that these machines have been manipulated to influence the outcome of the election. But that was never what he was looking at. Through eight days of the trial, attorneys for the liberal-leaning Georgia voters and activists who are plaintiffs in the case 
have tried to convince U.S. District Judge Amy Totenberg that she should order the state to prohibit further use of the voting touchscreens as the 2024 elections approach. Voters would instead fill out paper ballots by hand. Now, you might say, wait, liberal-leaning voters brought this case? Well, you'll remember in 2018 that Stacey Abrams claimed that she should be governor, that her election was stolen from her in 2018. And then you might remember that J. Alex Halderman was one of the people featured in HBO's documentary Kill Chain that talks about how easy it was to exploit the vulnerabilities of this very voting system and influence the outcome. They said Donald Trump was illegitimate. They said Brian Kemp skipping down. Halderman testified that he discovered vulnerabilities after he was given access to a Fulton County touchscreen called a ballot marking device as an expert witness in the case. He reported his findings to the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which validated the technology weaknesses in June 2022. Election officials have said Georgia's voting equipment is secured by locks and seals, poll workers overseeing precincts, pre-election testing, and audits of paper ballots. And of course, we've gone through all of these processes. None of those are even remotely sufficient for guaranteeing the integrity of an election, which is why these are the processes put in place. They exist to convince you that things are okay, not to prove that things really are okay. Alderman said a wrongdoer hidden behind a privacy screen at a voting precinct wouldn't necessarily be caught by election workers. Changing a touchscreen's programming would take seconds or minutes, but potentially create chaos in a major election when it would be difficult to determine which ballots were legitimate. It isn't necessary to open up a voting machine or remove security seals to gain quote unquote super user access to a touchscreen and change its programming. Halderman testified any voter could bring a forged voter card pen or USB drive loaded with malicious code to a voting machine. In one of Halderman's hacks, the text on the ballot would reflect the candidate the voter picked, but the computer QR code counted by a ballot scanner would count the opposite choice. Georgia lawmakers are considering legislation that would remove QR codes from the ballot. Oh, that'll fix it all. That'll fix it all. Just get rid of the QR code, which is an obvious method for fraud. And we can just focus on the other slightly less obvious methods. The vulnerabilities Halderman showed in court would only affect one voting machine at a time. But he also testified that many more votes could be changed if someone gained access to election management servers overseen by state and county election officials. Attorneys for Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, the defendant in the case, contend that the mere possibility of election tinkering doesn't amount to a violation of voting rights protected by the Constitution, such as free speech and equal protection rights. So you see, even though there is absolutely no reason to have any faith in the outcome of our elections as reported whatsoever, you still have not had your rights violated because you just can't prove it. Plaintiffs have failed to produce a single shred of evidence to substantiate the supposed risks they fear. A court filing by the defendant states there is no evidence that their ballots or any ballots cast using a BMD, a ballot marking device, were not accurately counted 
or that any vote has been changed. Weighing risk is a political and not judicial decision. Obviously, we will continue to track developments in that case as we have for years now. So what have we covered so far? Interference from the powers that be influencing who runs and who doesn't run, bribing people to stay out of politics, along with potential concerns, by the way, that if people don't do as they're told by these powers that be, the cartels that operate in all 50 states of our country might simply go and murder the people who don't get on board with the program. A side note, by the way, Jeff DeWitt, it has just been announced this afternoon, is resigning from his position as Arizona GOP chair. So we've got bribery and corruption. We've got federal agencies knowing that the elections are vulnerable and that they are going to be run with processes that invite fraud and invite mistakes. We have them censoring narratives that they find inconvenient in their project of increasing the collective faith people have in our elections, despite all the vulnerabilities and despite processes being put in place that allow for fraud. And then we have the irrefutable understanding at this point that the voting machines are vulnerable and wide open to manipulation. Dominion has admitted that in their own discovery documents in the Fox versus Dominion lawsuit that Fox then went as a good friend to Dominion and settled for $787 million to make the whole thing go away. Now, on that alone, people should have more than enough to convince them that the results of elections as reported cannot be expected to reliably reflect the will and intent of the voter. That is all any responsible patriotic citizen who cares about the country, the state, even their own local community should require as motivation to demand that our election processes are changed and that the entire process is made transparent and open to review from anyone who wants to review it to the extent that they want to review it. No one should have any faith in our elections. It is not smart to have faith in a process that is run this way. Yet people argue that it is. They argue that not only is it smart to take that stand, it's necessary to take that stand. Otherwise, the whole society is going to unravel in the sort of way that it might unravel if, for instance, no one was allowed to have any voice in how the society was run. Oh, yeah, you see, it's actually not smart. It's not patriotic. It's not a way to preserve the integrity of our society or the stability of our society. All of that is already gone. That is what people have to wrap their heads around. Whatever stability they think they have, whatever safety and security they believe the system provides is already gone. It's already compromised. It's not going to be fixed and nobody's going back to sleep. So now we need to get to the point where we make sure everybody knows, everybody understands, and if they want to, they're welcome to weigh in on what the solution will be. But regardless, a solution is now absolutely necessary. There is no other way to deal with it. It has to be dealt with head on. There's no more avoiding it. The system is broken. Another note on Raffensperger, by the way, TheMessenger.com reports this morning in an article headlined, 
Raffensburger, Georgia State Senate clash over election board oversight. A proposed bill to remove Republican Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger from his role on the state election board passed the Georgia Senate Ethics Committee on Tuesday, despite protestations from Raffensperger's lawyer. Raffensperger's lawyer, Charlene McGowan, argued that there is no precedent to remove the Secretary of State from the board or establish oversight over him. Giving a board of unelected bureaucrats unchecked power over the state's executive branch is a dangerous policy proposal. McGowan wrote in a letter to the bill's sponsor, and generally I would say that's true. The bill would also permit the state election board to investigate Raffensperger, who has gained national attention over his defense of the integrity of the 2020 election in Georgia. The legislation's supporters deny that the proposal is unconstitutional. We're trying to provide reasonable oversight of a process that affects every citizen of Georgia, said Republican Secretary of State Max Burns, who sponsored the bill during a hearing. But let's get more exposure and disclosure from this week. And let's turn to the most popular person anywhere ever, Tucker Carlson, who had Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton on for a chat. Here is a bit of their conversation about election fraud. They stopped counting votes on election night? Because what they needed to figure out was how many real votes there were so they could figure out how many mail-in ballots to apply to the election. That's what they would have done in Texas, I'm convinced. So you think that was fraud, right? I have no doubt, having been through that whole process. It wasn't just a water leak? It was definitely planned. I mean, it would have happened in Texas, I promise you. But can you just stop counting ballots on election night when everyone's watching TV? Oh, I know. Have you ever seen that before, ever? For three hours. Well, you tell me. You're the one. I have you're never the seen. I've never seen it before in my life. I was like, I knew it when they stopped, and it was, and Trump is leading in all these states. I knew exactly what they were doing. They were because there's no way to know where those mail-in ballots came. Anybody could have filled them out. Anybody. There's no way to know where those ballots came from. That's that's not a dangerous conspiracy theory. It's. I'm. I watched it happen. <laughs> Now, let's remember that Texas took away his ability as attorney general to pursue election crimes. And then the rhinos in the Texas legislature actually tried to impeach him last year. But Ken Paxton just repeated that dangerous conspiracy theory that the voting was stopped and all sorts of other ballots were brought in after the fact and chalked up to late arriving mail-in ballots, even though they were coming in in the middle of the night and were being counted after everyone was told that counting had stopped. And let's hit one more attempt to interfere in our elections before we get to all of the attempts in New Hampshire. This is the Boston Herald from this morning. Voters take Donald Trump ballot challenge to Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. A bipartisan group of voters challenging Donald Trump's ballot eligibility put the question before the Supreme Judicial Court Tuesday in a last ditch effort to keep the former president's name from appearing before Massachusetts voters in March. After losing out before a state panel last week, Boston attorney Shannon Liss Reardon asked Massachusetts highest court to declare Trump ineligible to appear on the presidential primary ballot and order Secretary of State William Galvin, quote, to take all actions necessary to effectuate Trump's removal. Skipping down, 
The effort to remove Trump from the ballot hit a stone wall Monday when the state ballot law commission dismissed two challenges from a group of Republican, independent and Democratic voters. The voters represented by Liz Reardon and liberal advocacy group Free Speech for People pinned their challenge on a Civil War era clause that bars from office anyone who took an oath to uphold the Constitution, but engaged in an insurrection or rebellion against it. So once again, we have Section 3 of the 14th Amendment coming back around. But the commission ruled Monday it did not have the jurisdiction to move the challenge forward because Trump was not a nominee seeking election, only a candidate seeking a party's nomination. That drew praise from Trump's camp. In discarding this latest hoax, the commission sided with the Constitution, ensuring that the people of Massachusetts will have the right to vote for the candidate of their choice in 2024, Trump spokesperson Stephen Chung said Tuesday. Now, the 14th Amendment effort does not seem likely to bear fruit for the regime. They are not going to keep Donald Trump out of the process if they get him off the ballot somewhere, somehow. Still doesn't matter. They are not going to decide the outcome of who's president in the United States of America based on an intentional misreading of an improperly passed Civil War Reconstruction Amendment. Okay, so to New Hampshire, Donald Trump, as it stands right now, with 97% of the vote in, is about 35,000 votes ahead of Nikki Haley. He has 173,155 votes, 54.4% of the total vote. Nikki Haley has 43.4%. Trump has 12 delegates accordingly, and Nikki Haley has nine. Ron DeSantis received fewer than 2,500 votes. And considering that about three quarters plus of Nikki Haley's vote is from Democrats and independents who simply involve themselves to cast an anti-Trump vote, and that without that, she'd only have 30-some-odd thousand total votes herself, we can really see how little actual anti-Trump sentiment there is among Republicans. Fine. Establishment, neocon Republicans, maybe Nikki Haley found 30,000 of those in New Hampshire with the governor's endorsement, with all of that money going in there, with the ability to rig election systems, and not only by getting Democrats and independents involved in the process. There's basically nothing there. This idea that there is all this anti-Trump sentiment within the Republican Party is insane. And before we get into some of the details and some of the reactions, let's think about this New Hampshire primary and its position in the process and the style of primary we have. So with the Iowa caucuses, we talked about how people actually had to show up in person, cast their votes in person. The ballots would be counted in a transparent process right there in person, and a winner would be announced. Now, because of the fact that people have to show up and devote some time to the caucus, the caucus is usually more attractive to activists and people who are really committed to supporting a candidate. They need to have the time to go out and caucus. It's not the same as putting a mail-in ballot in the mail, which is the process for people who actually don't care at all. And it's even a lot more intensive than showing up at a polling place on your schedule, whether it's morning, noon, or in the evening. 
and taking five or 10 minutes or a half an hour or so to stand in line and then cast your vote. You actually have to make a commitment and all of it's done in person. Now, that process, which lends itself to an understanding of greater legitimacy, it is harder to rig that process. You need to get actual people there to register and then vote for someone who is not the anti-regime candidate. That's a lot harder to do in that process. That often creates a winner in the Iowa caucus who is the candidate of choice for actual Republican voters, but who is also loathed by the regime. They are unacceptable to the regime. And we are told after these caucuses are over about how few people show up at them, about how they're always the activists and they don't actually represent the majority of the party. They also don't represent more moderate candidates. They don't represent centrist Republicans. And then, of course, the major Iowa evangelicals like Bob Vanderplatz get in the mix so that the media can tell everybody, oh, this was the choice of evangelicals. But that phenomenon only exists in Iowa. They don't have that in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, you see, the Republicans are a lot more establishment. They're a lot more moderate, a lot more centrist. They really want the old guard, the Republican establishment to represent them. So the media lays down that story and then the establishment Republican candidate wins in New Hampshire, the first primary. It's not the caucus that the regime media tells you is not really a representative outcome. They try to convince everyone that caucuses shouldn't happen. What we need are primaries because unlike caucuses, primaries are easily rigged in a number of different ways. And once a New Hampshire primary is rigged and stolen, they can tell the country about all of these differences in the voting blocks in the two of these states. Then they can claim that the candidate who emerges the winner of New Hampshire has the momentum. They are now seen as a more serious candidate. You just get a couple more primary wins in a couple more states around the country. And then all of a sudden you've got yourself a front runner. And you can do it all on the back of rigged primaries. So one of the ways they go about rigging the New Hampshire primary is through the open primary process where you don't actually have to be a Republican to vote in the primary. That allows for Democrat voters to change their registration to undeclared or to Republican, cast their vote in a Republican primary, and then change their registration back. The Haley campaign is actually promoting this as a campaign strategy. And along with the mainstream media, she's pitching the idea that Republicans need to have a big tent. They need to welcome Democrats and independents into the fold. And somehow voters of every demographic, including and especially minority voters moving in droves to Donald Trump, isn't welcoming enough. That's how it's being portrayed. And we'll see that in just a minute. But Nikki Haley wanted Democrats to come out and give her their vote because she wanted the win in New Hampshire. She wanted the narrative about the momentum, about the different voting blocks. They could have just run their own program if they were able to eke out a win for Nikki Haley. And in a few days or a couple of weeks, even the people paying attention would forget or ignore that Nikki Haley got that 
quote unquote win on the backs of Democrats and independents who were definitely not going to vote for a Republican in the general, no matter what. Now, I mentioned Trump with the record number of votes as it stands now. He is over 20,000 ahead of the highest New Hampshire primary vote total ever recorded, which was in 2016 by Bernie Sanders with 152,000 ish total votes. Again, Donald Trump is already up over 173,000. Now, Nikki Haley's total of 138,000 would, if we ignore Trump's total from last night, have been the second highest vote total ever in a New Hampshire primary for either party. Nikki Haley, Joe Biden, we are told, won the Democratic primary with a write-in campaign. And apparently that's all that was necessary. And thank goodness, because all of the Democrat voters, well, they had to go vote for Nikki Haley in an attempt to take Donald Trump out. My friend and fellow Badlands Media contributor, Ghost of Based Patrick Henry, relayed a story from a voter in New Hampshire he spoke to who said the entire primary situation was a mess there. Once he set up his phone to geolocate, he started getting ads nonstop about how he could change his voter ID in order to participate in the Republican primary, even yesterday, even the day of the primary. He said also every radio station was promoting it. And then when he went to vote afterward, the poll worker said to him, you know, the Republicans are now going to assume that you are one of them. So if you want, now that you have voted, I can change your affiliation back to independent or even Democrat if you want. So they actually had an entire apparatus built out in New Hampshire to get Democrat votes for Nikki Haley to make her the winner. And hey, maybe Nikki Haley is kayfabe. Maybe Nikki Haley is out there to expose all of these varieties of interference, this veritable bouquet of interference. But otherwise, she is just the chosen candidate of the neocon establishment, and they are going to use every trick in the book to attempt to use her as the vessel to complete the mission of finally removing Donald Trump from American political life. Charlie Kirk pointed out that in ultra-liberal Hanover, New Hampshire, they had just 841 Republican votes in the 2020 general election. And last night, the exact same town that only had 841 total Republican votes in the 2020 general election created 1,472 votes for Nikki Haley. CNN was able to catch up with a Democrat crossover voter in New Hampshire. Nikki Haley. And why did you vote for Nikki Haley? Uh, it's a vote against Trump. Uh, I think it would be better to have her against Biden in the uh, elections than it would be Trump and her. Do you consider yourself generally independent, Republican, or Democrat? Uh, Democrat. So when you undeclared, you voted for Nikki Haley. If it was Nikki Haley against Joe Biden in the general election, who are you voting for? Joe Biden. Now, none of what we've talked about today threatens the integrity of our elections at all. None of these problems threaten to tear down our democracy. 
what destroys faith in the integrity of our elections, what threatens to tear down our democracy is ever questioning any of this stuff. This, you see, is just how it is. And if we don't allow this stuff to continue happening, then we could ruin everything. But they don't care, do they? They don't care at all. In fact, when it comes to stuff like this interference right here, where the Democrat Party directs its supporters to switch parties to influence the outcome of the other party's primary and therefore who they would get to run their candidate against, we are told that that is all legal and therefore it's just fine. It's not interference. It's what they're allowed to do. The law allows for that open primary. And so there's an open primary. And naturally, the RNC and the DNC, they're private corporations. They go by their own bylaws. They can do whatever they want. Donald Trump could win every one of these primaries and the RNC, if it wants, can manufacture a way to keep Trump off the ballot as the Republican candidate. Now, they would destroy the RNC by doing that. But I'm just trying to make it clear that they can do what they want, which is why they work with the DNC. This is not something that the RNC decided would be better for the Republican Party or something they thought would help them win general elections. This is a deal they have made so that they can execute the narrative operation that I was describing before. They need to make it so that their elections can be rigged with explanations already prepared, narratives already seated, so that when they produce the rigged outcome, people understand that this is just how things happened. Just as with the example we started the show with, the Kerry Lake bribery scheme in Arizona, this is a way that the regime removes anti-regime candidates from the process. They make sure they are in control over who's on the ballot in the first place. And of course, the parties rig their primaries. That's the only way to make sure anti-regime candidates don't end up winning general elections in red states. It is just the mirror version of what they do in blue states to keep establishment Democrats in place. If you're watching a Senate election take place in California, you know going in, oh yeah, the Democrats going to win. And of course, in California, they have Democrats running against Democrats. But the point is, you would just rig the primary in that instance so that the Democrat candidate who's definitely going to win the general election is the one who supports the establishment. There was, of course, exit polling done as people left their precincts. The Gateway Pundit reported on some of this in an article entitled Truth Wins Out. Eight in 10 Republican voters in New Hampshire believe Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. Similar results to Iowa. They quote CNN. Roughly seven in 10 of the New Hampshire voters backing Trump said they were registered as Republicans and about eight in 10 of Trump's voters denied the legitimacy of President Biden's election win in 2020, highlighting the election denialism that remains widespread among his supporters. There is no evidence of widespread election fraud in 2020, says CNN. Haley's backers present a near mirror image. About seven in 10 said they were registered as undeclared prior to Tuesday, and the vast majority acknowledged the results of the 2020 election. So again, Nikki Haley voters 
are just Biden supporters and they don't even hide it. They are current Biden supporters who are just crossing over to influence the primary. Ron DeSantis's supporters, of course, are Biden supporters who don't even realize they're Biden supporters. Many of them actually spend their entire day yelling about how angry they are at Joe Biden while being the very people who supported Joe Biden's legitimacy and the legitimacy of his win, without which Joe Biden could have never been seen by anyone in the country as a legitimate president, because there's no proof anywhere that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. And those DeSantis supporters absolutely know that they just ignore it because as they tell you how patriotic they are, they prove that's simply not true. Not only were they fully on board with the usurpation of the country, they're fully on board protecting the regime and the usurpation, which is why they were helping get rid of Donald Trump. Oh, what power they were after. Now, before the election was over, before Donald Trump went out and gave a victory speech, Nikki Haley went out, got up in front of the press and basically declared victory for coming so close, even though she had a double digit loss and would have lost by 60 points if it wasn't for Democrats showing up to vote for her. Here is some of that. I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. Okay, well, that's not true. The next state is Nevada, and Nevada is having a caucus. And Nikki Haley is not participating in that caucus because she can't win that caucus. But in 2021, illegitimate Democrat governor Steve Sisolak changed the Nevada primary process, moved their date up to before South Carolina and put a primary in place of the caucus. Well, the Republican Party rejected that. They said, no, we're not going to allow you to use the method by which the establishment steals primary elections. We are going to have the caucus and assign delegates from that caucus. And you can hold your primary, but the primary will not dictate any delegates going anywhere. So Donald Trump is going to contest this caucus. He is going to win the Nevada caucus. Donald Trump is at like 95% in the polls in Nevada. And then Nikki Haley is going to participate in the fake Nevada primary. And if she goes out and wins that, which she very well may, since Trump supporters aren't going to bother with it, we will then see the media talking about how Nikki Haley has all of this momentum coming out of the Nevada primary. 
that isn't real and Donald Trump didn't contest and the New Hampshire primary that she lost and wouldn't have been anywhere close if it weren't for Democrats and independents. Then she talks about going on to her home state of South Carolina, where she was governor. Trump's been talking about in recent speeches how he gave Nikki Haley her job as U.N. ambassador to remove her from the position of governor in South Carolina so that he could put current governor Henry McMaster in place. Donald Trump is up 60 percent in the polls in South Carolina. He has all the major endorsements in South Carolina. He is the dominant figure in South Carolina politics. It's Nikki Haley's home state, and she's going to get blown out there. But of course, South Carolina is where upstart primary candidacies go to die. That is where Hillary Clinton took out Bernie Sanders in 2016, and it's where Joe Biden took out Bernie Sanders in 2020. And how do they do that? Well, they have the most rigged election fraud system imaginable in South Carolina, just like Stacey Abrams is the major weight behind the election fraud apparatus in Georgia. Jim Clyburn in South Carolina just flips a switch and fires up that election fraud machine and then the establishment wins. Then, of course, we also have this CNN reporting today. Black voting organization will kick off new campaign ahead of next week's South Carolina Democratic primary. Now, again, there's no real contest for Joe Biden and the Democrats and Republicans have different primaries and occasionally different processes. But this is how the system works. They always say that it's black voters coming out to support the establishment. Black Voters Matter is set to gather in Charleston, South Carolina on Thursday to kick off a new campaign and bus tour ahead of the nation's first Democratic presidential primary in the state. Except they just had one last night in New Hampshire, didn't they? Gosh, they sure had a lot of write-in votes, didn't they? The voting rights organization said the campaign, We Fight Back, is intended to rally black voters and bring awareness to issues affecting black communities. Black Voters Matter said it will strategize on how to fight misinformation targeting black communities and map out how grassroots organizers can arm voters with facts. This little blurb on CNN also notes that in late 2022, President Joe Biden sent a letter to the Democratic National Convention urging it to reorder the primary calendar to allow voters of color to cast their votes sooner in the primary process. Now you might say, isn't that the guy who said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. You'd be right. Isn't that the guy who was mentored for three decades by a Klan leader? <laughs> you would be right. Isn't that the guy that wrote the crime bills that have incarcerated so much of black America? You would be right again, but Hey, Joe Biden wanted to make sure that voters of color have a big say in the primary process, which is why he has given so much more weight to Jim Clyburn's operation in South Carolina. Your elections are stolen, my friend. CNN also, by the way, just below that article has another one saying two very different versions of Republican voters backed Trump in Iowa and New Hampshire. You got to keep that narrative going, don't you? Donald Trump had a watch party and a victory party last night in New Hampshire. It featured speeches by Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott. 
both former candidates in the fake primary and now both dropped out and supporting Donald Trump. Donald Trump on Truth Social reposted a screenshot of a tweet from David Brody of Real America's Voice. He wrote, the fat lady is singing a thread. President Trump's victory in New Hampshire was actually even more impressive than his 30 point win in Iowa. Let us count the ways. Despite the fact that one, more than half of primary voters were not Republicans. Two, the electorate was more moderate and liberal this time compared to 2016 plus nine. Three, 64% of primary voters said they were not MAGA. Four, just 24% of primary voters were very conservative compared to 52% in Iowa. Number five, Nikki Haley had the endorsement of the popular governor of New Hampshire. Number six, Nikki Haley invested heavily in New Hampshire. Number seven, Nikki Haley spent tons of time there. Number eight, Nikki Haley had her two-person race on supposedly her type of political terrain. And yet, despite all those factors, President Trump won easily. He goes on to say that it's clear that voters want a do-over of 2020 that people by the day realize more and more was stolen. But despite this dominance and the fact that there is no way anyone but Donald Trump could possibly win this primary, Nikki is going to continue. Now, is it kayfabe to expose more and more of the system, or is this a real effort by neocons? Either way, after hearing that she was going to continue and waste more money and keep attempting to tear down Donald Trump and MAGA, the neoconservative warmongering cuck on Fox News Sunday night, the great one, Mark Levin, wrote on Truth Social, Nikki Haley's speech was classless and dishonest. She deserved Donald Trump's rebuke. She keeps claiming victory when she loses. She gave her statement early to spin her media advocates. She stands for nothing but her own self-aggrandizement. There's no reason for any Republicans to rally around her. And she's the media, Democrats, and establishment's favorite Republican for a reason. Now, Levin was a DeSantis supporter. And of course, Levin is a sometimes Trump guy. Sometimes Trump is okay when their interests are aligned. And the rest of the time, Trump is exactly who the Democrats say he is. Very similar to the Ben Shapiro position. But of course, now all of these guys having only Nikki Haley as the option and saying that nothing is more important than winning a rigged election over Joe Biden, they can't be seen as just strictly anti-Trump. They can't go from supporting Ron DeSantis now that Ron DeSantis has dropped out to supporting Nikki Haley, or it becomes immediately clear that they are anti-Trump guys and their audience simply ignores them. Now, the media is covering all of this as if Nikki Haley really did win, as if her performance last night was really some sort of important accomplishment when it clearly wasn't. They are pretending that Donald Trump's speech was angry somehow, even though it was like a party atmosphere around him with Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott, like pumping up the crowd. Tim Scott was acting as Trump's hype man. He wasn't angry. And Nikki Haley, to the extent that any of this should be taken seriously at all, is absolutely delusional. She has no chance of winning. She didn't increase her chances of winning last night. The next primary is not in South Carolina. She's not even competing in the Nevada caucus. 
and all indications are that she's going to be blown out in her own state. But that's not for another month. So she's going to hang around for another month. And we're going to continue to have this same conversation. She will probably pull the Ron DeSantis tricks. Why isn't Donald Trump giving the people of South Carolina a debate between these two Republican candidates? Well, it's because it's a fake primary and because he does not need to talk to you, Nikki Haley, because there is no support for you in the Republican Party. And there is even less support among MAGA, which is the vast majority of the Republican Party. They try to pretend this isn't true, as New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu did last night, repeating the common refrain that it's only 30 to 40 percent. That's what they always say about Trump and MAGA. Sometimes they say it's 30 to 40 percent of the country, which explained his presidential approval ratings during his first term. They used to always say, well, he's always got like a 35 to 40 percent floor. There's no way he'd ever go below that. Well, that's of everybody. And then people like Chris Sununu and other media figures pretend that that's his floor in the Republican Party, too. None of that is true. It's all so absurd. Donald Trump is hands down the most popular politician in American history. It's not even close. He might be the most popular politician in world history. And that'll be obvious to everyone within the next few years. But to the extent that it's not obvious now, that is just a factor of media manipulation. But let's take a second and hear what Fox News's Brit Hume told all of the standard issue uniparty right villagers in Fox News's audience. You know, one of the questions that's on my mind is this issue of sort of the quasi incumbency, right? Because the argument is, if you treat him like an incumbent, he should be around 80, 84 percent, right? He should have almost all the Republican votes, but he's not. And he's running against people who are giving him a little bit of a run for his money. So, Britt, how do you how do you judge that? How do you figure out whether or not he has enough growth potential to beat Biden? If you think of him as an incumbent. This showing tonight's weak, right? I mean, he should be doing better. And it's also a sign of weakness that the independents and others who voted in this primary were unwelcomed, by, not welcomed by the Trump campaign and by a lot of his supporters. The idea being, of course, that we, we wouldn't want to have the kind of a party and a candidate that draws in people from the other party. So it's a, there's a sort of insane political logic at work here. But there's weakness there with Trump. There's no doubt about it, even though, even if he wins you know, easily and, and going away. He's, he's got, look, he, he lost in 2020. His candidates lost in 2022. I mean, he has a lot of losses on his book. I mean, what a clown show. They're pretending that all elections for all time are totally legitimate and that the reported results reliably reflect the will and intent of the voters. Nothing could be further from the truth. Donald Trump did not lose in 2020. His candidates did not lose in 2022. It's all nonsense, a product of stolen elections. Anyone paying attention knows that. Certainly Brett Hume does. He's not telling the truth. Nothing could be more obvious. And if you know Donald Trump got 75% of the vote from Republicans and Nikki Haley only got 25% of the vote from Republicans and then filled in the rest of her total with Democrats and independents, then you actually do have that incumbent strength among the Republican voter base in this GOP primary, despite all of the media interference and despite all the money and whatever other manipulation New Hampshire allows. So that whole narrative breaks down immediately. Brit Hume should be embarrassed for himself, but of course 
He's not because he's an old regime supporting fool, or at least a very competent actor. And then we get old milk toast herself, Kaylee McEnany. Here's why I say this. This was actually a fairly good night for Joe Biden. When you look at our voter analysis, only 10% said, I would not vote for Joe Biden if he's the nominee. He won a plurality of voters who said he was too old. He won a majority of voters who are upset about the Gaza war. So the divides in the Democrat Party, and this is a small sample size, but perhaps aren't as stark as one would think. But when you look at the Republican Party, 7 in 10 Nikki Haley voters said, I would not vote for Trump. There was a Des Moines Register poll, 43% said, no, I wouldn't vote for Trump. If I'm Trump, I sit back and I exclusively focus on the general election. I take the posture of a presumptive nominee. I focus on number one, uniting the party, and number two, winning the independence, which Nikki Haley won 55 to 39%. That's what I would do. Nikki Haley, I mean, the closest margin is 30% in the states ahead. For all intents and purposes, he's the presumptive nominee. So that is former Trump press secretary, current Fox News contributor, Kaylee McEnany who, if you'll remember, maybe six months or so ago, was called milk toast by Donald Trump, which immediately triggered the most outrage I have seen from the DeSantis simps for anything since Donald Trump named Ron DeSanctimonious. How could Trump be so mean to Kaylee McEnany, everybody's favorite person, they said. But hey, this is what Kaylee does now. Now, is this a kayfabe operation? Is it all fake? Is Kaylee still on the team and she's just getting these narratives out there? Well, maybe, maybe Donald Trump thinks it's good that the eyes of the nation are on these comments from Kaylee McEnany last night. And if he makes fun of Kaylee on Truth Social, then everyone will see those comments. That's entirely possible. It's also entirely possible that Kaylee simply took a payoff like the one described In the audio we heard at the beginning of this podcast, I don't know what the answer is. It's good that we engage all these possibilities. That is what we should do. But what we shouldn't do is assume that the person is definitely just faking it because we liked them before now and we don't want to think that we made a bad character judgment. And that is the habit that people slip into way too often. Donald Trump responded to Kayleigh McEnany saying, I don't need any advice from rhino Kayleigh McEnany on Fox. Just had a giant victory over a badly failing candidate, bird brain. And she's telling me what I can do better. Save your advice for Nikki. So, hey, who knows? Maybe one day we will actually get some answers on some of this stuff. But in the meantime, we can't just go around depending on that. That is a bad thing to be wrong about. It is better to just take a step back, understand that all of this is just information among other information. The goal of this project is not to pick out who all the secret white hats and secret black hats are. The goal is to understand the process. Kaylee McEnany is not our friend. She is a stranger. We don't have to defend her. We don't have to insult her. We just take in the information It is just information among other information. All we know is Kaylee said that thing for some reason. Either she believes it or there's another reason. And in the future, maybe we'll find out. And if it turns out that she's part of some grand op happening behind the scenes, we say, hey, Kaylee, I'm sorry I doubted you, but you can never be too cautious. You were saying a bunch of shitty things. 
or if she turns out to actually be a bad guy, then you are already mentally prepared for that possibility. And you have considered what it means rather than just chalking everything up to kayfabe, something you cannot possibly prove, and then ignoring it. We can expect there will be betrayals left to come. Now, the media has no idea how to handle any of this. Perhaps people were really convinced that Nikki Haley might actually beat Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Some of the left-wing outlets have been going crazy. My pal Patriots in Control put together a collage of headlines. The Huffington Post, Trump under criminal prosecution for his coup attempt, wins New Hampshire anyway. Rolling Stone, Trump won New Hampshire. He's still whining. Daily Beast, CNN and MSNBC forced to fact check error riddled Trump victory speech. Oh, sorry. You were forced to do that. Raw story, racism, fascism, and cruelty. Donald Trump's New Hampshire performance in nine quotes. Vice news. Trump won New Hampshire. Next up, a pummeling in court and Politico. No, you don't need to go to a Trump rally. And finally, the messenger has a new poll out today showing Donald Trump with a 48% to 41% lead with 11 undecided in their most recent general election poll. And naturally, there is no reason whatsoever to believe that this poll is actually representative of the sentiment of Americans across the board in any way whatsoever. But it also matters that this story is being told to the American public. Donald Trump is up big, huge nationally. This number has kept on growing. And I imagine that every couple of weeks, we will see this tick up by a point. It'll be eight in a few weeks. Then it'll be nine a few weeks later, 10 a few weeks after that. They need to protect the Biden agenda and the globalist project and its reputation, the reputations of everybody involved, while making it clear to everybody that Joe Biden, for the good of the party, for the good of the country, because you got to beat Donald Trump, Joe Biden's got to be removed. They're giving us all the reasons and the narrative continues to grow over time. As Kerry Lake pointed out in that audio, all of this is about getting rid of Donald Trump. Well, good luck, commies. That's not going to happen. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
It's high noon! Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's high!